0: So, uh, well, welcome again. Uh, I'm Pastor Aaron. I serve as the associate pastor for, uh, well, about eight more days uh, here at EMC. And uh, that being said, I am a little bit emotionally raw this morning, just being able to speak with you guys. Um, So please be patient with me. I appreciate that. Um, But so my family, we, we recently... Upgraded our, our vehicle from a uh, bare bones 2013 Dodge Grand Caravan to a not so bare bones 2015 Honda Odyssey. Now, when I say bare bones in the Grand, uh, grand Caravan, I mean it like no AC in the back, which on summer days is pretty brutal. And since we are planning on going to Houston for a while, uh, we just felt a little bit too bad for our kids that we need to get them some AC back there. Um, well, fortunately, we don't have to go to Houston, but also fortunately, we got something that, you know, is a little bit nicer and for our, our travels uh, this summer. And one of the things that's nicer about it is, well, features. Features can be nice. And one of such feature is the ability of this car to, through the remote control, open up doors and even the trunk. And so as we were coming home from our nightly stroll as, as a family and, you know, our, so, you know, our older children are, are kind of walking back to the house and we're pushing the, the stroller and we keep the stroller in the, in the back of the van because we don't really have a better place to store it. Um, but our, our third child, uh, via, you know, she ran ahead and she's right by the, the, the trunk entrance of, the, of the, the Odyssey. And I thought it was going to be funny as we're kind of, Coming around the corner just to remotely open it up and just kind of like surprise her, and anyway, I did. And she, you know, she kind of jumped back. And you know, as we're turning the corner to to you know to meet her, she she turns like half bewildered, half amazed. She she says, "I opened the door." <laughs> Unsure how she did it, but confident she did. She was there. We were not. She has no idea about the remote control that, that I was able to wield, but she, you know, she's just well flushed with, her, you know, flushed with pride with her own ability to open the door, even though she has no idea how. Now, too often in our life, we view it as us going on a hero's journey. We're overcoming. We're prevailing. We're triumphing through our efforts, our perseverance, our ingenuity, we will overcome. And we turn to God and say, I did it. And while such a uh, demeanor, such an attitude can, well, it can make us feel good for a moment, when we encounter problems that are too big, insurmountable, too hard. The hero's journey motif just doesn't cut it and adds no comfort. And as we turn in our Bibles to Psalm 23, uh, perhaps the most famous psalm, we hear about, well, the shepherd who guides us. Recited by many at this, beside you know, hospital beds, spoken in funerals, given to comfort bereaved parents, families in turmoil. This, this psalm is often one of the first ones that, that comes to our mind. I had an Old Testament professor who recounted as he was a, a young man and he, every night he would suffer with night terrors and he would be so stressed about even trying to get to sleep. And for years, the only thing that would bring him comfort the only thing that would give him rest was reciting this psalm over and over again. And so as we turn to Psalm 23 and we, and we read about the shepherd, and we're reading from uh, the NLT, read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So, today, despite it, well, really receiving one verse, as it often does in our life, our time in the valley, well, the the shadow looms large. And for the people of God this morning, I want to talk about in the valley, where to find our comfort. Because I know as we gather today together as the people of God, we come, in many of us, bearing unique burdens. Harassed and helpless, beaten and bruised, we come. And in the valley, we take comfort from his presence. It's perhaps the most basic thing that we, can, that we can glean from this passage. That, you know, even though I walk through the valley, the darkest valley, you are close beside me. And if you take a moment and you, and you look at how the, the psalmist uh, begins to, well, unfold his, his prayer, you know, there's, there's a shift there, isn't there, in verse 4. He begins all in the third person, right? He begins with, well... All the things that God does. And they're wonderful things. He lets me rest. He leads me. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right path. When we get to the valley, what does he do? You are close beside me. You are near me. I don't think it's a coincidence that in the valley it becomes all that more close, God's presence to us. We sense his nearness in a new way. That even that that turning from the third person to the the second person, I think it it, it hints at that shift, that in the valley the nearness of God is is made known to us in in ways that are, are far deeper than in the pasture. Over my time here at, at EMC, I've had uh, both the weight and the privilege of being able to, to enter into people in perhaps some of the hardest times of their lives. A death of a loved one, a cancer diagnosis, family turmoil, or being asked by people even, I, I don't even I've never met before to, to officiate their funeral. And there's a weight to such a moment and sometimes by the nature of my position, as I enter into the hospital room or enter into, into the house of somebody who's going through this, they, it's almost like they hang on every word as if it was from Christ himself, looking for a, a word of comfort to them. And there's a substantial, substantial weight to such a, an event. But there's also this privilege. Because as I, as I enter into the room, as I enter into the, into the house, I oftentimes become acutely aware well, that I'm not the first shepherd who's entered into this place. Well before I've gotten here, there is one with them already. The chief shepherd. The chief pastor. That as I enter in there, and I, I can get a sense from, from many of God's people That well before I ever visited them, that Christ himself has visited them in their darkest valley. And they're taking comfort in that. And one of my my favorite questions to ask, even though I don't do it all the time, is to ask them about, well, how have you experienced God's grace? Have you experienced his nearness here? And sometimes I'll get answers like, you know, they want to say the thing that they assume is the, the right thing. But other times there, there's a, a genuine response from many of God's people. They're like, oh yes. I can't believe it. I can't believe how near he is. I can't, believe, I can't believe the comfort that I have right now. I can't believe the peace that I have as we're walking through this. And I tell you, there You know, hearing the stories of God's people as they experience the worst of the sufferings of their life, but also the greatest comfort in the life, the very presence of Jesus with them in the valley. And I know for many of God's people, as you walk through the valley, you may not be so naive to believe that it's true, but your heart declares that it is—that you are alone, that no one understands. that no one's in the valley with you. But we know all the more than David did as he wrote this psalm, don't we? We know of the great shepherd who, will, who says he will never leave or, nor forsake, who declares to his people that I will be with you always, that he is with us. And whether you feel it or not, whether you experience or not, take comfort. The shepherd is present. He walks with you in the valley. In the valley, not only do I take comfort in his presence, but I take comfort in his protection. What does he say? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, what is the rod? Some may even say the club. You know, the, the thing to beat, Wild animals that would threaten the flock. What a comforting thing that is. You know, I didn't grow up in the greatest of schools and I learned very little about our, our US presidents. But w- the one thing I did remember about Teddy Roosevelt was what's been known as his big stick policy. His, the way that he would uh, approach you know, foreign affairs, he, he would say, speak softly and carry a big stick. He's all for negotiation. He's all for, you know, trying to politic it, you know, his his way through, but he realizes at the end of the day the thing that both allows him to do so and to do so well is carrying a big stick. That if the if the person he's trying to negotiate with says, you know, I, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do what I want. Well, he has a big stick there to back him up. We have a shepherd who carries a big stick. He doesn't need to plead with the forces of evil. He doesn't need to beg and say, please, just let this one alone. Just just be nice. No, the forces of evil that threaten your soul, that want to destroy and consume you, no, he doesn't negotiate. He carries a big stick. Too often as we think about shepherds, we think of, you know, some idyllic scene of, of someone on a, a pasture, you know, playing a harp with, you know, not a care in the world, just, you know, chilling out maybe under a tree to get, get some shade. But such is not the case, particularly in, in this area of the world. Spurgeon quotes J.M. Potter, Porter, describing the shepherds, you know, modern day shepherds, but within that region, how they, how they looked. He writes, the shepherds themselves had none of that peaceful and placid aspect, which is generally associated with pastoral life and habits. They looked like warriors marching to the battlefield, a long gun slung from the shoulder, a dagger and heavy pistols in the belt, a light battle axe or iron head club in the hand. Such were the equipments and their fierce flashing eyes and scowling countenances showed but too plainly that they were prepared to use their weapons at any moment. The shepherd is fierce. The shepherd imagery is less about the tranquility or peace, but about the fierce protection of the shepherd for his sheep. He carries a big stick. A very big stick. It's why the people of God, they praise him. You know, they're delivered from Egypt. And what do they say? They say, well, the Lord is a mighty warrior. The Lord is his name. They declare that his arm is not too short to save, that he is not in, unable or incompetent to deliver his people. No, the Lord is a mighty warrior. He, guides with his, he protects with his rod and we take comfort in it. He also guides with his staff. You know, the staff to strike the sheep that, that seek to go astray. This, you know, whereas the, the rod protects against the, the outside enemies, the, the the staff protects about the internal ones. The desire of us to go as we please. And yes, you know, to be struck by the staff is never pleasant, but it gives us comfort. Why? Because it, it, keep, it, it keeps the sheep with the shepherd. It keeps the sheep to be able to walk through the valley, to not get lost, to not get stuck, to not find themselves on the outside. No, no, no. As a shepherd wields his staff against the sheep, it's a comfort. It gets us through. i didn't ask her for permission, but i I think she'll give it one of uh, when I talk with Vicki Brady um, oftentimes, yeah she's grimacing um, but there's been many occasions where 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 Vicky has just shared about a situation and well and her own desire and attitude and outcome that she wants to have from it and. She'll she'll almost never fail to say something like this. And then God struck me upside the head with a two-by-four. Yeah. Right? It's like, you know, something happens. She wants to react one way. But what does God do? Well, he strikes her with a two-by-four, gets her on the path, says, nope, that's not the way that you're going to go. That's not the attitude that you're going to have. Isn't it a good thing that we serve a God who does that? who smacks us upside the head once in a while? I think so. So in the valley, we take comfort from his presence. In the valley, we take comfort from his protection. But lastly, in the valley, we take comfort from his plans. Yes, the shepherd takes us through the valley sometimes, doesn't he? But the things that he leads us through says less about him than the things that he leads us to. The valley is not the end goal. It's not his last word on our life. The valley is the means to what? Green pastures. Quiet waters. The banquet before the enemies. And make no mistake about it, The shepherd who leads us upon the paths of righteousness or the right path, he's the one who leads us through the valley. This too is paths of righteousness, isn't it? The meandering through the darkest valley, this too is is part of his plan of righteousness for his people. It's not ancillary. It's not unnecessary. It's his means. And we take comfort because we know his intentions for us. We've seen his intentions for us. We've seen his faithfulness at work in our lives. If we just take a moment and step back from from our, our present momentary experience, and we look at the ways that God has been faithful from when we were a baby until now, when we say, well, God, God, you are at work. You have been faithful. Your intentions are good, aren't they? There have been times in my life where I've had to step back, and even at times where I've had these momentary existential crises, that what I'm doing is just wasting my life that perhaps doing pastoral ministry is um, spending a whole lot of effort to serve a God who doesn't even exist. And waves of terror and doubt and frustration come over me. And in those moments, what do I do? I think back to the ways that God has been faithful, the ways that he has proven himself again and again. Do you remember... Do you remember the, the ways that he's revealed himself and his faithfulness? Do you remember when you were applying to, to seminaries and uh, you were you, you were applying to, to Asbury and, and Princeton and you were one click away from applying to Princeton? Had a whole thing filled out and you got the sense that, nope, that's not where you're supposed to go. And you didn't. And then a couple weeks later, you got this full scholarship to Asbury. Do you remember when you, your wife was, you know, tr- you know uh, Preparing to run a marathon. And a couple weeks before, she got this incredible knee injury that made her unable to run even just a couple miles. And you were praying for her, and you got this sense that, well, the Lord was going to heal her, but just not yet. And even a, a day or two before, she tries to go off just for a couple-mile run, but unable to do it because her knee hurt so bad. But then we traveled to Louisville anyway for the marathon, and, you know, she begins running and just the the pain just absolves. And the only thing that doesn't hurt afterwards is that knee. (laughs) You remember those times when you had nothing and yet God provided places and food and place. And well, he provided for all your needs. Has he not been faithful? Can't we trust him? when he brings us through the valley because we've seen the ways that he's blessed us in the pasture. And not only has he done it, doesn't he have these great and grand promises for his people? Doesn't he call us that we are going to be co-heirs with Christ and rule with him? That our union with Christ is going to be perfect and complete? That he will not stop? That he will not... Be deterred, that he will not give up his people, but he will draw them into to the very life of God himself. Yes. And we can take great comfort in that. His plans are good, even as he calls us to walk through the valley. And we may wonder at these times, well, why does he bring us here? Why does he carry us through here? And the answer is not always that simple, is it? We don't necessarily know the mind of God. But while we may not know exactly why, as Keller, uh, Tim Keller often, often notes, we can, we can know definitively why it's not. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's unburdened with our suffering. No, we, we know all for sure the amount that God has cared for his people and sending his son to walk with us in the valley of the human experience. To suffer, as the author of Hebrews says, in every way as we have, to be tempted in every way as we have yet without sin. And that God has provided for us a mediator between God and man. One who knows our weaknesses and is sympathetic. Who stands before us at the right hand of God, pleading on our behalf for his for our care for God's mercy to shower upon us and we look to him don't we we are not the heroes on a hero journey overcoming all obstacles and sometimes it may feel that way because well we're the ones who are walking when we stumble it's dark but as we make it through the valley, it's not because of our fortitude or perseverance or strength. It's because God has provided us a shepherd. God himself is his, our shepherd. Protecting us, being with us, drawing us into his plan. The one who does not leave nor forsake, with whom not even death separates us. The one who has entered into our darkness and is still entering into our darkness draws us into his life. The one who wields his big stick against the enemies of your soul that seems so prevalent and so big, sin, the flesh, and the devil, they receive the fullness of his wrath. He doesn't plead with them. He doesn't negotiate with them. He carries that big stick. And with his righteous wrath against such things, he wields it for his people. We make it through because the the shepherd doesn't leave the sheep in the valley. He carries us through. And so we trust in his plans as he's shown himself faithful again and again and again. And as Jeff and the worship team come up, I wonder if, well, how many of us are in, this, in such a valley, needing to hear the well, and experience the grace and the mercy of God in our life. And perhaps his, his well, our experiences of that grace seem distant and far off but we trust in his word. He is near us. He is present. And so I want to invite you, if you are in a valley, you can come up and pray. If you need someone to pray with you, uh, there will be people happy to do so. You can pray in your seats and ask someone around you to pray with you. But God is with us. Let's pray. Kind Father, I know I am very limited in my ability to, uh, to communicate and to make real to the hearts of your people the truth about what you say about your nearness to us. No amount of explanation or analogy or eloquence can make that come alive. And so, Father, by your Spirit, for your people who are battered and bruised and harassed and helpless, that you would uh, make known to them your presence with them. That you would speak life into their souls. That they would find comfort in your presence. Come and speak to your people, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.